Thursday Finance for our sponsor, uh, Pritchard and Partners. And uh, first off, Stephen Pritchard, um, what about Boxing Day uh, trading? It's been made legal permanently, so to speak, but some of it is supposed to be optional. Well, I, I, I really don't understand why we need to have the shops open on Boxing Day. The big retail, the opening the shops for all these additional hours, um, actually adds to the cost of the consumer because you're paying more staff. They don't do any more business than if they weren't opened at the end of the day. I mean, people have only got so much to spend. And if they spend it over six days, you're saving a whole lot of costs and running the store for the seventh day. And, and, and it favours the big, the big retailers because inevitably the big retailers staff are under a special award where they get paid less than than the people in the smaller stores so it costs more to run the smaller store than the than the larger store and i I really can't understand why people can't go without a day going to the shops i mean jane you you know if you went the day after boxing day instead of boxing day would it would it make any real difference would you starve (laughs) and and as for optional you know that's all very well and good but what happens in practice they say to you uh we've rostered you the casual staff we've rostered you under work boxing day and you say uh i i i don't want to work boxing day and they say fine but of course you're casual and there's no other shifts after that i mean that that happens a lot of times, not just on Boxing Day, but on other times where people have to work odd hours um, and then if you don't take them up on your casual staff, well, you know, we'll bring someone else in and then you just go down to the bottom of the list. Mm. So I'd like to know how, how, how the government's proposing to ensure that that doesn't happen. Yes, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? Yeah. Don't coerce your workers. But And I, I think, you know, if we're going to do this, we need to look at, the other issue is why isn't government services open on Boxing Day? Uh, you know, I might want to go and, and do some business with the Office of State Revenue, for example, or the local parliamentary office. Why isn't that open? 24-7 trading? <laughs> well, if it's good for one, it's good for another sector of the economy. And, you know, why, why aren't all these government offices open employing people of, of this extended trading hours? And I'm sure for, for a lot of working people, a lot of the government offices are very difficult to get to because they're not open when people want to use them. And often they've got to take time off work to go in and see the government offices. So it'd be a lot better for everyone concerned if those government offices were open additional hours as well. Thank you, Stephen. In the meantime, um, the dollar's doing quite well, isn't it, this week? Uh, yeah, well, well, against the US dollar, we're up yeah. 1.22%. I mean, um, we're back above 80 cents again this week. Uh, it's very well if you're going to go overseas. The Reserve Bank's not that happy about them. Um, so it's good for good for people importing stuff into Australia, not so good for exporters. Um, um, but, you know, if you're going overseas, yeah, you're happy. The gold the gold price was up 1.6% on the oh, sorry, down 1.6% on the week, which which is a bit... You would have thought it had gone the other way because gold's supposedly a store of value in times of uncertainty with all the issues regarding North Korea and the US. And you would have thought the gold price would be going up in leaps and bounds, but you know it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the copper, the copper, the copper price was um, pretty much steady, eight thousand one hundred one dollars a ton, and the crude oil price was up one point eight percent to seventy dollars and nine cents a barrel. Um, the currencies, the US dollar, as we spoke about a minute ago, was was up one point two percent, back above eighty cents. Um, AUD. Uh, the gold, the British pound, we're down half a percent on that to 59.42 pence. Um, the New Zealand dollar, we were down 1.3% against that to $1.09. And the euro, we were up about half a percent against that to 67.48 euro 
cents. Mm-hmm. Uh, the equities market, the equities market was down on the week, uh, 1.25% to 5,725. Oh, that is down, isn't it? That's down for all you shareholders. We're mm. still struggling to get to the 6,000. We seem to be getting further away. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people are finding it tough, to be honest. I think a lot of companies are really finding it tough. Uh, and despite what the the politicians are saying about the, you know, the economy, I, I'm not, I, we see our clients, and a lot of the retail ones aren't doing that well. Mm-hmm. Um, the S&P 500, um, that was, was up half a percent to 2,508. Uh, the UK index was down 0.3 to $7,271. And the Hang Seng, in the, which is Hong Kong index, was up 1.2% to 28,127. Um, local investors who kind of buy stocks that local investors seem to like wouldn't be too happy. Um, BHP was down 3% on the week to $26.03. Uh, the CBA uh, started to fall again, was down 0.2% on the week to $76.55. Uh, NIB was down 0.4% to Five dollars seventy-three, and they've announced a capital raising to acquire another health fund, which we'll talk about that later. And uh, Telstra was down two percent to three dollars fifty-eight. Uh, the fuel price, which makes everyone a bit happier, I suppose, was down one point four percent to dollar twenty-two point eight. But there's a long weekend coming up. Oh, do next you think that might weekend. push the price up? We could run a, a prize on that if you want. Um, uh, we, what we, would the prize be? Uh, a litre of <laughs> fuel or something? A litre of fuel. Not a tank. You know how much a tank costs? A litre. Uh, and the Sydney, we're up 8.8% in Sydney to $1.26.5 cents a litre. And uh, the diesel price in Newcastle is $1.26.9 and Sydney $1.24.1. Hi, Henry. Stephen. Hi, how are you? Good, good. I was That's just... Good. Just having a look at my notes here. I didn't realise you, you notes. Were... My notes. Gee, yes. I have. You don't have notes. I know you don't have notes because you're so smart. You write the notes. That's what I'm, you do. I, I, you I write, write the, the notes. I write and, the notes. And I have to, to read the, the notes. That's right. So, so the A Triple C's, the A Triple C's, going to have to look at your notes about. Um, they're telling the government it's going to have to limit. Um, uh, export of natural gas to ensure that there's a supply for the domestic users. I mean, this is this is turning into an absolute fiasco, really and truly. I mean, the problem is that successive governments, federal and state, have really not had a coherent um, energy policy, and now we're kind of stuck with these people like AGL closing down the Liddell power station, um, or, and they've signalled that a long, long time ago. Um, and it's a very old plant; it's only it's 50 years old. It's falling apart, um, and you know you've got all these gas. Um, exporters like Santos and Origin up in uh, Queensland that have locked in big long-term supply contracts to uh, international players at good prices because that was necessary to actually raise the funds to build the, the plants. And now the government's going, well, hang on a second, what about domestic gas? And that's the problem. They, the government did have a, a trigger, or, or they've got a mechanism called the Australian Domestic Gas Security Mechanism, which they have yet to pull the trigger on that, which basically means that they can divert gas from those export projects to, uh, to local. And the ACCC has said, well, you know, we've got this trigger. You've got a problem looming. Why aren't you pulling it? And you have to ask the question, why aren't you pulling it? But, um, yeah, it's, um, it's all a bit of a schmozzle meantime. 
energy prices continue to rise. Well, well, Liddell's an interesting point up here because there's been some stuff happening up here that hasn't probably made the press in Sydney. So, so what's happened with Liddell up here is that the operator of the Vales Point Power Station, mm. bear in mind AGL says it's a worthless asset and it's coming to the end of its useless life. Mm. The, the operator of the Vales Point Power Station said they're very happy to take it over. Um, a power station like that has no end use for life if it's properly maintained. But now uh, AGL's come out and said it's not for sale. So if it's a useless asset and it's not worth anything and it's losing money, why isn't it? Why wouldn't they be happy just to offload it? Um, well, I think the answer is competition. They, they don't really want uh, a competitor to come in and run it because then they can uh, take some of their market share away, I, I imagine. Yeah, I think um, the truth is it's not coming to its end of useful life and AGL will actually make more money by shutting it down. Well, yeah, I mean... I. I don't know. I, I, I was listening to a, a lady on uh, the ABC yesterday who was one of the uh, the people who's been working there for, for yeah, thirty yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Started out and now down the bottom and now is up the top. Yeah. And she said basically the place is falling apart. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, un, un, unfit for purpose. That's what she says. But if you look at the numbers that are coming out from AGL, it's going to cost nine hundred million dollars to bring it up to scratch, whereas to build a new plant it's going to cost three billion dollars. And there's only a 5% efficiency increase by building a new plant. It doesn't make any sense. No. Well, yeah, yeah, we're going to something more. how it all works out. Yeah, I know how it's all worked out. The, the electricity prices are far higher than they need to be. Well, the, the, the problem is also is that um, the way the mechanism, there was a very good article in the paper today about the mechanism. Basically, the more people opt out yeah. and, and head towards uh, renewable energy and putting solar panels on their roofs, um, the more the price will go up. It's called the death spiral mm -hmm. um, because the, the generators have to get the same amount of money back from less people. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if there was only you and I connected to the grid, our power would be, you know, gazillion dollars a year. Um, and if everyone else was on solar, they would be quite happy and we would be quite sad. So it's, um, mm. it's, it's what they call this death spiral and it applies to other industries as well, oh, like yeah. um, uh, private health care. The, the, the more people that opt out, the more it costs for those that are left in. Mm. Mm. That's so, right. Um, it's kind of a game of chicken. Do you opt out and pay the money and have solar on your roof and go self-sufficient, or do you, um, or do you stay in and watch your power prices go up? Yeah. So we're, we're going to put some solar in at work when I get round to finalising that. Yeah, um, I think it's the way to go. Yeah. So the Seven Group. So Seven Group's going to buy the buy the other half of Coates Hire that they done already own. They are cheeky little buggers, the Seven Group, I have to say. Yeah. They are cheeky little buggers. Um, yes, they, they are buying a 50-odd percent of coats that they don't already own. Now, what, why they are cheeky is they announced the deal um, yesterday. The stock went bananas, uh, was up 10% on the back of the deal, because it is a good deal. It gives them good exposure to uh, East Coast infrastructure and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then after the stock was up 10% and they said they were going to fund it out of existing facilities and debt, etc., 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 they then decided to do a um, placement to fund it last night at 7 o'clock at night. Oh. Oh, well, I mean, there the you go. So stock price <laughs> made them change their mind, probably. Well, I guess if, if the stock price goes up by 10% and you've got a, um, a hungry, voracious broker knocking on your door saying, hey, 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 we, need to, uh, we can raise you some money, there's a big demand for this stuff, um, then, um, yeah, and of course the other problem is the free float in, uh, in seven group is not particularly high. So um, this will increase that free float of stock. So it will make it, uh, it will go from 26% to 35%. So 
it's a bit, bit, bit mm. you, you would have thought you would have thought that there's no way they could have organised the documents to do that in in two hours. Ah, um, I've seen the way these things work, and you can organise them in ten minutes. Can you? Okay. you just change the name to protect the innocent. Lawyers wouldn't charge ten minutes' work for that. Anyhow, uh, we'll go on to what's happening at NIB. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so, they're all pretty pro forma stuff. Yeah, I know. They still wouldn't charge ten minutes. <laughs> um, we we'll go on to NIB. So NLB's acquired uh, as acquiring another health fund from uh, Australian Uni, Grand United Health, I think it's called, or G. Yeah. Um, well, NIB, which uh, you know, which is one of the big listed health funds, they're they're, they're also raising some money. It says seems to be the season at the moment for people to be raising money. So they're uh, raising 60 million bucks and they're going to buy this business, GU Health. It's um, Australia's only established specialist corporate group health insurer. 34,000 policyholders, 260 corporate clients. Um, gives them a good growth leg. Um, and I imagine that the, uh, the placement or the capital raising will be pretty well supported. Um, and it should help... Um, you know, all these health insurers are under some pressure at the moment because people are opting out, costs are rising, margins are decreasing, etc., etc. So, um, yeah, it's probably a, a pretty shrewd move from uh, NIB. So, do you know what price the placement's at? All the capital raising that? Uh, the placement is at. Uh, oh, I can't remember off the top of my uh, head. Doesn't matter. And we're in our market update with Henry Jennings. Over to you, Stephen. And Henry, Certex has been fined $100,000 for breach of some continuous disclosure regulations and the chairman's set to retire. Yeah. Um, first of all, the uh, the NIB thing, 565 price. Yep. They're doing it up. Um, yeah, Certex have been fined. Well, they've, they've not... Yeah, they've been fined a hundred grand. Basically, they've admitted that they have done nothing wrong, um, but they've decided to pay the fine anyway so that it cuts their legal costs rather than fight the fine. This is to do with their continuous disclosure requirements. Um, every company has to do that and keep the market fully informed of things. And obviously, uh, I think there's a class action lurking around as well in Certex too. So um, they're clearly admitting no, um, they didn't do anything wrong, but they're happy to pay the money just to keep the ASIC happy. So, yeah. And is this related to the chairman retiring, or is that another just... It's just going uh, um, I think he's done his time okay <laughs> got a good payout I assume and then they usually do <laughs> and so, so something seems to have gone wrong for Bruce Gordon and uh, Lachlan Murray down at uh, and, uh, oh, I think this is so funny down at 10 the uh, the, uh, the creditors <laughs> have voted to accept CBS's offer and did you see yesterday the staff didn't want to work for Lachlan Murdoch and that was well, one of the reasons I mean Imagine that I wrote, you know, flippantly. Can you imagine the dinner, the, the dinner conversation between Lachlan and Rupert? You know, sorry, Dad, I've stuffed up again. You know, it's just you know there was there was one tell, and you know, with him and Jamie stuffed that one completely up, ripped up huge amounts of money. Then then they all bought into Channel Ten on the hope that they could become Citizen Kane-like media proprietors and influence the world, um, and and dragged in some other billionaires which have ripped up huge amounts of money as well. And then when their carcass was there for the taking, they've stuffed it up and let CBS come in and sneak it away from under their noses. Mm. Well, how are you going to tell Rupert that you've stuffed it again? You know, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. But, you know, I think it's actually, a, you know, we, we've had all these media reforms that have been talking about 
diversity of media and what, whatever. Um, I think it's fantastic that this uh, the CBS, which is probably the premier network in the US, is actually coming to Australia, and, and maybe we will get a little bit more diversity in the free-to-air, although they already flogged most of their programming to uh, Channel 10 anyway. But, yeah, the staff not wanting uh, Lachlan is... Um, it's certainly a bad sign as well, and no, no amount of hipster beard from Lachlan is going to change that. No, no, no. I think uh, I think I read somewhere they've dropped two hundred million on this. Two hundred and fifty, I think. Ah, okay. Well, what's, what's 50? fifty between friends? What's that, fifty? That, that, you know, can you imagine how Gina feels? She's ripped up a hell heap of money as well. Yeah, Chris well, Gordon's yeah. ripped up a whole heap of money. Jamie's ripped up a uh, whole heap of money. Well, they've all got you know, plenty. Guys, guys, you're supposed to be smart businessmen. Mm. I don't know. Uh, so. Uh, on to some something that glitters. Uh, Evolution Evolution Mining's offloaded its uh, uh, Edna May mine for ninety million. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's um, you know it's looked across its assets and Edna May, which is one of the core assets that I guess started the company uh, for Jake Klein and the boys at Evolution, is um, not as well uh, performance-wise as uh, the other assets now are. So they've just taken the opportunity to uh, to rationalise things. I guess given the you know, the price of gold where it has been because of all the tension in North Korea, it's probably not a bad move from uh, from evolution. Um, so, yeah, it's just not such a good asset as the rest of their stuff that they've got now. Okay, so you think it's probably a good deal for them? Oh, uh, it's a good deal for somebody. Oh, okay. Well, they time will be good deals. <laughs> time will tell. I, I, think it's, I think it's a good deal for evolution, um, and maybe because of the size of the business now, it's, it's best to to get rid of the underperforming assets, the ones that don't sort of meet their benchmark, and let someone else try and sweat those assets that may have um, you know, more concentration on them. Okay. And then uh, Reject Shop um, came out with some interesting thing that this week that the, they're not going to be, they claim they're not going to be affected by the entry of Amazon because the average sale size uh, they make across the counter is too small for Amazon's delivery. It'd be nice if they did make some sales across the counter because of the, the figures have been pretty appalling from the reject shop recently and the share price has been uh, pretty appalling as well so um you know it's they, they did seem to lose their way shall we say okay okay from a year ago they were 11 bucks and now they're four bucks so maybe maybe the reason amazon's not going to bother with them is they really have got the no business sales. model is not going so well yes and next dc's listed it's Listed safe in Asia data centers, and this is what you predicted last week. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to play on again, and want some board seats now. Well, yeah, I mean, this this is a bit of a stuff up. I mean, Next DC, which run cloud computing, um, you know, they owned the buildings and they owned all the computers inside, uh, and they decided that it was a smart idea to sell off the buildings into a property trust uh, and let somebody else run it, and they would just um, lease the, you know, pay rent fantastic idea until someone else has come along and decided to uh, to buy the buildings or the property trust uh, which is a um, group called um, the capital oh, what's it called um, TGP is the code anyway capital um, 360 capital are, um, are going to buy this thing and, and next is going to end up with 29% want a board seat obviously because they don't want uh, the new owners of this to ramp up the, uh, the rents uh, dramatically rent and electricity costs are two of the biggest costs, I would imagine, for cloud computers. Um, and uh, both will be going up for next DC. So I'm, I'm still not... The market loves this story. I'm not at all convinced about this story. Um, I have to say, I, th- I think there's um, 
competition coming and um, I think you know it's getting more expensive for these guys to run their businesses there they're not easy not cheap to set these um, these rooms the up the data says no no it's not so you've got Amazon Web Services and Microsoft uh, Cloud Computing okay they're offshore a lot of the time but um, which gives the local guys a bit of an advantage but at the end of the day that they will set up here and cost and the cost of your storage will come down because the cost of all this sort of data storage comes down. You've only got to look at how mobile phones have changed and how, you know, all our, you know, now you get so much more data for such little, mm. little money. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a competitive world. So I'm, I'm still, I know lots of people love it, but I'm not. I think, I think someone told me the other day that Microsoft's building a data center in, uh, or two actually, one in Sydney and one in Melbourne. Yeah. So, so there's competition coming. And yeah. just to wrap up. Um, yep. TPG is cutting its dividends to offset <laughs> declining revenues from the broadband division. Yeah, I mean this is this is another you know this is a former market darling, I guess yeah. you, you would say, and it, it had an extraordinary performance. Uh, it's heavily shorted. Uh, they came out with some numbers. They pointed out that basically the MBN is eating their lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, margins are getting squished. Uh, the stock popped, I don't know, eight or ten percent on the on the results. Everybody sort of went, well, fantastic, that's okay. They cut the dividend, that's great. They reinvested money back in the, in the business. And then they looked at it and went, you know what, I think this business is stuffed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to spend a lot of money on mobile spectrum. They're going to have to spend a lot of money on building their mobile network, 5G. Um, you're taking a big leap of faith that David Teo and his team can, uh, can do what they have done in the past. And, you know, again, the stock price was 9 bucks a year ago, and here we are at 5 bucks. Um, there's a certain amount of magic and shine wearing off for some of these companies. Yeah, so you need to keep up to date with when the magic and shine's wearing off. <laughs> so how do we do that, Henry? How do we keep up to date here? You can, you can uh, sign on uh, for a free 14-day trial at marcustoday.com.au and uh, talk to uh, Nikki or Chi-Chi and they will uh, sign you up with that or just go on the website and sign up and then you can read all that stuff every day. Okay, or hear us next week. Or I'll see you on television some days. Okay, thanks, Henry. Stephen Pritchard, our special guest today is Mandy Barton from Centrelink, and Mandy is happy to take calls four nine two one six two one six. Ah, so Mandy, the pensions uh, pension has got an increase in their their payments this this week, or is it from this week? From yesterday. From yes. yesterday. Yes. So everyone who's paid after yes or from yesterday gets the new rate. So what what are the kind of the new rates? Okay, for single people, the pension has increased from $888.30 per fortnight um, by $6.10. So we're up to $894.40 a fortnight for our single pensioners. Uh, couples, the rates have increased from 669.60 a fortnight by $4.60 each. Uh, so they're going up to $674.20 each. Right. So that does that? How much is the increase? What's the increase based on? Increases to pension are based on one of three indices, so they measure against three different indexes to see um, how to increase the pension. So we look at uh, CPI, we look at the average weekly ordinary time earnings, and um, a pensioner and beneficiary cost of living index. And the indexation um, is based upon the one which gives them the highest increase. Okay, so 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 if the average time, which hasn't been going up much, so they'd be getting either the CPR or the other one, I'd imagine. Generally, it's the ben- pensioner and beneficiary cost of living yep. index most okay. recently. So that's the adult pension. Is 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 the 
other benefits similarly gone up? Like um, there is indexation to all the payments, okay. um, but they're the, they're the pension rates the specifically. Ones. Okay. And so, um, what about the means test? Has there been any changes in the means test cutoffs? So, with the indexation of the pension, what that does every twentieth of March and twentieth of September is that pushes the cutoff points up. So, uh, the rate at which the point at which the pension is completely lost, if you like. Yeah. So, do we know what the what, the, what they are now? Yeah, so for a single person looking at the income test, the new cutout point um, based on fortnightly figures is $1,956.80. And for our couples, the new cutout point from yesterday is a smidge under $3,000 a fortnight at $2,996.80. Right, so so someone on a couple can earn $3,000 a fortnight, which is 76000 a year before they get no pension, more or less. Under the income test. And yeah. if they're age pensioners, they also have the bonus of um, being able to work for wages and have the first $250 a fortnight exempt. Uh, so potentially for a couple, they could be earning another $13,000 a year above that cutoff point. So they could be wages. up to uh, almost 90000 90000 yeah. Which is a fair amount of money. Uh, and um, what about the assets test? Yeah, so the increase to the pensions has also increased the cutout points to the assets test. Um, so with the asset test, the status, whether you're single or partnered or whether you're a homeowner or a non-homeowner, has a bearing on that. So our new cutout points from yesterday for a single homeowner are $552,000 in assets. And um, for the non-homeowners, 755000 And for the couples, the homeowners cut-out point is 830000 or $1,033,000 um, for non-homeowners. Um, of course, the difference between the homeowner and the non-homeowner is due to the fact that the homeowner's home is exempt under the asset test. Yeah, yeah. So that's... that's that's not an in, so so that's not an insignificant amount of money. So so a non homeowner can have a million or a non homeowner couple can have a million and thirty thousand dollars before that affects their before their, it cuts out their pension. Before it cuts out their pension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. before it cuts out the thresholds are lower, and once a person exceeds the threshold, the, the pension, pension starts, starts to reduce. reduce. Yeah. But they're the cutout points from yesterday. Okay, and um, but once they get one dollar of pension, they entitled to their health. Yeah. yeah, if a person receives the minimum rate of pension, um, then they um, receive their pension a concession card. Okay, so we might come back in a minute and talk about um, temporary vacation at home and what happens if they decide it then becomes permanent for some reason. Mm -hmm. And Centrelink matters with Mandy Barton and, of course, Stephen Pritchard. Um, so so this actually came up. This is a real-life question. We had uh, sets, uh, um, someone on a, um, a Centrelink benefit and they had a house that they were paying off in uh, one of the Newcastle suburbs and they decided to move to, to Sydney to do some studying. And now they've decided that um, they, they um, want to move to Sydney permanently and they're going to sell their house up here. Um, so does that affect the, their, their Centrelink benefits in any way? Well, there's quite a lot of facets to that question. Yeah, real ones. <laughs> basically, when they vacated their home to go and move to Sydney, that would likely be assessed under our temporary vacation rules. Yep, that's right. So the home vacated for up to 12 months continues to be assessed as their principal home and therefore exempt under the asset test. If a person makes the decision to sell their home during the temporary vacation, that then brings into play the rules that apply for a person when they sell their home. So when a person sells their home, if they have an intention of buying another home, they um, continue to be assessed as a homeowner for 12 months from the date of sale. 
the money that they get from the sale of the first home is asset exempt, um, what's going toward the purchase of the second. But as soon as they sell the home, we are going to deem the full proceeds from sale. So it can certainly have an impact on their settling entitlement. Um, if they sell with no intention of buying again, then the assets are assessed straight away and they're classified as non-homeowners. So what do you mean, the full proceeds? Uh, from from a deeming perspective, so when someone sells their home, and let's say they've got five hundred thousand dollars held, whilst they're mm-hmm. if they're looking to buy again, whilst we can place an asset test exemption on the money toward the new purchase, the income okay. is deemed from day one. Okay, so if if there's five hundred thousand dollars and there's a hundred thousand dollars mortgage, it's only going to be the four hundred. The net value, yeah. of course. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's quite interesting. And then. Um, the f- you're actually a financial information services officer down at the Centrelink. Uh, as someone just said, a walking encyclopedia of Centrelink numbers. Um, so what do you actually do down at Centrelink day to day? So the role of the financial information service officer is to provide education and information to all members of the community on any financial issues that they face. So primarily, I guess, what we are is educators. We're we're there to teach people about financial topics, financial issues, look at the options that might be available to them in certain situations and the impacts of those options. Right. So can people come in and get um, some kind of personal advice? We don't provide advice as such. Information. (laughs) Yes. Information. (laughs) Yeah, get it right, Personal information, (laughs) yes. yes. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So our service is available a number of ways. We have a phone number that they can contact through retirements on 132300 and ask to speak with a financial information service officer. Or for more complex matters, certainly they can come and have a face-to-face interview, sit down. And does it have to be the actual beneficiary came in or or can, say, their, their children come in if the the person's in a nursing home or something? The person's in a nursing home very regularly. We're speaking to children who would need to provide evidence of their authority, so a power of attorney document. Okay, okay. Absolutely. So so that's pretty pretty good. I mean, I know we recommend people go off and see... uh, See, see really financial is. information service. I mean, being a bit biased, being a financial information service officer, but it is a great service available for free um, to all members of the community. Well, you know, the, the things, the Centrelink benefits are that complex. I mean, you really yeah. need someone who does it all the time. Absolutely. It's great to have Mandy coming and visiting us and sharing her knowledge with us. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.